Welcome to the Lean Blog Podcast. Visit our website at www.leanblog.org. Now, here's your host, Mark Graben. Hi, welcome to the podcast. It's Mark Graben. This is episode 397. It's January 20th, 2021. My guest today is uh, Hide Oba. He is the son of the uh, late Hajime Oba. Uh, who passed away last year. You may recall in episode 386, I talked to Professor Steve Spear about his recollections of learning from Mr. Oba, um, who's, of course, famous for his work at Toyota and um, TSSC organization. So his son, Hide, worked at TSSC, um, and he also um, is, is listed as a senior consultant with H&M Operations Management, LLC. Uh, he worked closely with his father. And in today's episode, uh, Hide shares a lot of his insights and personal reflections uh, on, on working with his father, uh, what he learned, what others learned about the Toyota production system and uh, what a lot of us would call lean. Um, So if you'd like to see show notes and uh, more, you can go to leanblog.org slash 397. To find the episode with Steve Spear, you can either uh, scroll down in uh, the podcast feed or you can go to leanblog.org slash 386. Thanks for listening. All right. So again, we are joined uh, today by Hide Oba. Um, Thank you. Thank you so much for being a guest today. How are you? Thank you, Mark. Thank you for this opportunity. Yeah, well, it's, it's a real pleasure. It's, it's a real honor. And um, I thought we could start first, if, if you could tell some of your story. Um, how did you start working with your father? So I think uh, it was 2001. Um, I was working in a different company as an accountant. And I told my company that we need to reduce inventories. And I was an arrogant accountant telling them, hey, you're this inventory. And then I told my dad that, hey, I'm doing the same thing as you do, right? I told these guys to reduce the inventory. Uh, he didn't get angry, but he asked me, what's the lead time? And I didn't know what, what was the lead time. Yeah. And then I started investing about lead time. I found out that the company had two weeks of lead time. So I told my father, so our inventory target should be two weeks. And then he started laughing, right? Because the lead time in Toyota is like less than one day or something. Sure. And how can a product that's less complicated in an automobile can take two weeks of lead time? And that's when I start feeling like, my God, this, my father knows something different than my company knows or some of these other people that I talk to knows about. So I beg him, like, give me an opportunity to work with you. And we, he finally gave me a project, project in USA. And from there, I start working with him. So that was 2001, 2002. Yeah. Well, I, I think your story, um, you know, that, that's such an interesting introduction to um, your father's career and his approach. Um, hearing you tell that story, it makes me reflect and think this, this happens a lot in companies. It's easy for people to think they understand TPS um, or, or lean or they, they understand one part of it. I've been guilty of that. Um, you know, myself, I, I don't claim to, to fully understand it all. But what, what are some of your thoughts then as you um, went to go visit other companies and, and see how your father's father worked with others? How do you help people get past the temptation to say, oh, I've learned a little bit. Now I understand it. Let's just get rid of the inventory, for example. 
Well, every time he comes to the shop floor, there's always a new point of view or new I learn from him. And I think the companies welcome him is like, there's never end to this journey and there's always a lot more to do it. So I think there are people who get confused, um, like why we hit the target and he doesn't look happy. On the other hand, it's almost like getting addicted to this journey. You always explore and find something new. So I turned out to be one of those people <laughs> getting addicted to my father and I just followed him. So becoming addicted to learning, addicted to improvement, that, that's a good thing to see in an organization, right? Yes, yes, I think so. And I think a lot of people enjoyed it too. Yes. Yeah, um, you know, I never had the opportunity um, to work with your father. I've, I've, I've talked to many people uh, who have, you know, I, I did a podcast episode with um, Steve Spear. Um, I think of Lisa Nichols from Toyota, uh, Vicky Paisowitz, who um, worked at Alcoa and learned from Steve Spear and was introduced to your father. You know, there, there are always um, so many great stories about him coming out to the shop floor. And so I was wondering if you could talk about that, like, you know, uh, the, the importance of going to the shop floor and some of the other um, unique aspects of your father's approach. Well, going to shop floor for him was almost, how can I say, fun or entertainment. I have, I, he didn't have much hobby, but going to the shop floor was his hobby. And the first is like the detail that he captures is uh, completely different. Like we went to this factory and we started talking about training for the people. And we made a program that, you know, sort of you would work in this way. He said something is wrong with that program. And then we found out on the show floor that people was doing the different direction. So my father was asking us, why are we teaching the different direction? Because when you take them to the real world, it's going to confuse them. No, none of us captured that, but he just got it. And once we changed it, it made it so easy for everybody to understand the process. And how, how careful he watching these detail, but crucial for people was unbelievable. And that's something I'm still trying to learn. Yeah. Um, so your, your father um, had the, you know, the, uh, the opportunity, the fortune to learn from Taiichi Ono. Um, what, what did your father um, you know, sort of pass along in terms of what he learned from Mr. Ono about the importance of going to the shop floor? Did he tell stories about well, that? Well, I, I think he said he didn't directly learn from no. him. I think, uh, I think he's like the second generation, like Mr. Cho or somebody like that. Oh, okay. They are the first-hand student and Mr. Oba learned from them. But I, mean, I know Mr. Oba, my father met Mr. Ono once in a while. Uh, but going to the shop floor was like so normal thing for him to do. So I, I, I still remember every I, I, I get a phone call and he's like, I'm outside the factory, let me in. And he just go into the factory and start pointing out things. So, and that was the way that a lot of Toyota managers behave. They don't give a, um, I had noticed that they are coming, that we can prepare. They will come suddenly and, you know, whatever happening on the shop floor is the result. And we, any excuses is not accepted. So that's their style. Yeah. So, so tell me more about that. You said no, no excuse is acceptable. 
Right, right, right. So, uh, I, when, like, one example happened was, like, the machine was not running for maintenance reasons. And I start making so many excuses that, you know, today is a bad day. Today we happen to have blah, 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 blah. And he always look at me and I and stop making excuses. He only comes once in, I don't know, like once in a year. And, you know, this happening on that particular day, <laughs> there's only two options, right? It's a miracle or it's happening every day. <laughs> Tell me the truth. And I'm like, yes, that you're right. It's happening all the time. We haven't solved this issue yet. We need, we need to work on it. Yeah. And, you know, whatever the other result looks fancy, but he wants to know, okay, what's the real problem? If that's the real problem, let's fix it. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, I learned that multiple times. Yeah, it's funny. Um, and then you talk about, you know, this idea of no warning uh, about showing up at the Gemba. I mean, what, what, what's the risk of, you know, giving a, a two weeks notice to say, oh, I'm going to come visit in two weeks' time. What, what, what's the, I, I think I know the answer, but I want to hear yeah, it. Well, then they would do this, you know, painting and, you know, they clean up the whole floor and they make nice presentations and, you know, adjust the graphs and whatever. It looks nice, but, you know, these guys, you cannot fool them like that. Once they start the presentation, they will walk around the, you know, the route. They will go off the route for sure. <laughs> go to any process and he will start asking questions. If that's happening there right now, could that happen to the line that you're working on? And I have to say, yes, sir, you're right. There's no excuse about it. So. Hey, I guess That's the smell of fresh paint is a, a dead giveaway that it's <laughs> yes. the real thing. Yeah, fresh paint, fresh um, board. Of, he, he loved those dirty boards with pencils and, you know, even standardized work. He don't like the fancy uh, PowerPoint standardized work. Write it on a piece of paper with a pencil. Just keep updating, and that's perfectly fine with him. Yeah. Or any other Toyota people. So that's how I get trained. Yeah. Well, that's interesting because you want to have had the opportunity to visit Toyota plants, and I think of you know the the plant in San Antonio, Texas, where I used to live. As you're you're taken through different parts of the factory, you don't see these really beautiful looking team boards or improvement boards um you, there's there's inconsistency there's and 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 i think that that throws some people off but um i guess the question is you know if you can elaborate about you know how it, it, it's it's got to be more about the problem solving thinking than it is having some sort of standardized uh whiteboard that that has fancy labels and might look yeah. nice to an outsider right yeah 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 and that's why he hated giving us a format for problem solving. He will give me a big white sheet of paper, write down, you know, what, what is the problem? And then what did you, what, what was the hypothesis? What did you test? Hypothesis, test it. Keep just updating the, the whole story on that paper. Uh, it's not about being beautiful. It's about oh, what we thought was a problem. And then we investigated. No, it was wrong. That's fine. Mm-hmm. But show me the whole investigation. And maybe in the end, you might ask them to summarize so that you can keep a file of what was the real problem in the countermeasure so that you can feedback the future generation, like designing a new product or designing a new machinery, mm-hmm. stuff like that. But day-to-day basis, it's dirty the beautiful. Yeah. So that theme of, of going to the Gemba, um, going to the, the shop floor comes out very strongly. Uh, Bruce Hamilton, who I'm hoping to also interview you know, he, he, your father did work with um, his company 
in Massachusetts. And, and Bruce wrote a blog post, I'll, I'll link to it in the show notes, where Bruce was vice president of manufacturing and um, your, your father would um, want him to go to the shop floor. The other executives were skeptical. Well, why should we go to the shop floor? And, and, and your father told Bruce as, as he wrote, you should do Kaizen too. And that the entire management team should do Kaizen. What, what's your perspective on, on that idea that everybody uh, in leadership should be doing Kaizen themselves? Well, first is I think they, at least they should have some idea how they want the process to be improved. And then making sure, I think my father was sometimes, how can I say, like I was working with my father and my brother, and he saw my brother working with the team. He didn't immediately go to the team. He was looking at how my brother was managing the team, the team dynamics. And, you know, what kind of guidance he's giving, what are the problems that he's seeing. So he, as a manager, making sure that the organization is working on the problem solving, working on standardized work one by one. And that's something, as a managerial, he's always want the management to think about is how to make sure that we are giving them the right environment for these guys to do Kaizen's. And uh, is those kinds leading to the level that, you know, they expect. Um, another episode, but long time ago, I did a workshop, and and you know, before we started the workshop, he gave me a hint to say, focus on the tool, yeah, uh, focus on the positioning of the tools and stuff. And you know, I got the advice, but we didn't work on that. Mm -hmm. But we got the result, and you know, the management was happy and clapping hands because yeah, we like double the productivity, and you know it's going to save a lot of things for the management, but he was looking at my face and he didn't make a comment during the presentation, but end of the day, he came back to say, I asked you to work on this tool, Hank. What happened? And I said, we couldn't work on it. Um, it was complicated, but we got the result with the different things. And he's like, yeah, I know that you can work on those other kinds. I know that you haven't seriously completed this tool hanging thing. And this was a great location. So that's the reason why I'm challenging you to work on this Kaizen. Yes, it might not have the exact impact, but the other impact, he knows that we can do it. He knows that people can do it, but he wants, always wants us to work on something new so that you know, when the next challenge comes, we can add a list of things that we can do. And I think that was something the Toyota managers are always challenging is they know what we can do and they want to challenge something more, maybe a little bit, but something more all the time. Mm -hmm. And that's why I think they come to the Gamba to understand what can you do and where do you need to go? And I think he's always looking for that gap. Yeah. Not only the, you know, opportunities. Yeah. Um, in, in, in observing how your father worked, I'm, I'm curious, um, you know, people often talk about, uh, you know, leading by asking questions and, you know, in, in your, in your story, it sounds like, your father was sort of pointing in a direction. So like, I'm curious, you know, the balance between um, only asking questions versus sort of steering somebody about where to look to where they should be asking questions about. I, I definitely think he had an image of how it should be. And he had a clue, like he never asked the question, what should we do? Um, like he don't have any idea what needs to be done. 
And he always had some answer. And it's okay if my answer was not perfectly right. But if it's going the same direction or not, that's something I think he always had inside his mind. And he wants to make sure that the people are going toward the right directions. He wasn't asking, okay, what to do next? Or, you know, please tell me the answer. That kind of question he never asked. It's always based on his true north or his vision. Mm. He had something that he want us to work on, and uh, am I thinking the right way or not? That's his question. Yeah. Okay. Thanks. Um, I was wondering if you, you could elaborate a little bit more. You, you've you've touched on this, um, how, how your father viewed TPS. I know there's a, a phrase um, you used when we talked before: management engineering. Yeah. Uh, the, the role of managers creating a culture. Could could you tell us more about that? Yeah. Like. Oftentimes I hear like, okay, what's the incentives to um, pay to the people so that they will work on Kaizen? And my father always sort of like shaking his hand, like he's not going to pay, well, Toyota is not going to pay a dollar for every Kaizen ideas. It's, it's like the whole process is designed a way that, hey, if the problem happens, the process will stop. And the management's responsibility is to solve the issue so that they can hit the targets that they are given by their higher bosses. So therefore, they have to work on the problems, and they also have the target for the Kaizen, so they have to work on those problems. And if you cannot meet those targets, somebody will come and help to accomplish the target. So the whole, this dynamics is carefully designed. It's not like other process where we keep a lot of inventory, we keep a lot of lead time, we keep a lot of people in between so that, you know, even if somebody don't hit the target, it's okay. We don't care because overall output is fine. If you design the process that way, nobody, there's no need to really work on Kaizen. And I think that's where my father was really uh, careful about is, are we sure that the management structure well, the way we're managing the process is designed that we have to do Kaizen. And it's not Kaizen by fear, but sort of like Kaizen by responsibility or ownership of those yeah. process. Kaizen by necessity, perhaps. Yeah, Kaizen by necessity, I think so. And, and people feel fun about it. Mm -hmm. It's not like they've been pressured to hit the target. They would do their best, but if they cannot, they feel comfortable pulling down down to say, sir, I cannot accomplish this. Can you help me? And that's when they know that they are learning something new. So they feel comfortable that they found out that something new happened. And then they will say, okay, next process, let me do it by myself. And that becomes a Kaizen culture. And I think that's the, something I think he was very cautious about is like, don't get easy on adding inventories or you know, adding lead times. Take it out so that, you know, the management feels the need to do Kaizen and the people feel the need to do Kaizen and provide the support. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, you know, people, I, I think, very broadly know the word Kaizen, you know, the Japanese word that comes to us in a lot of cases via study of Toyota. Um, but, you know, there, there's a, another word, an English word, of course, that comes up a lot. And, and that word is challenge. And I was, I was curious your thoughts, um, you know, when we talk about the concept as, as Toyota describes in English, either uh, respect for people or respect for humanity. Mm -hmm. um, how, how do you see that idea of, of, of challenge um, being respectful in, in a, a TPS type environment? Well, 
I, I don't think there's any challenge that um, the managers don't feel like it's impossible to accomplish. I don't think there's any challenge that would give such a challenge. I think my father, like I said, already had sort of like a roadmap of how they, he will improve the process according to the roadmap he challenges us. So he's not asking us to do something impossible. Um, that's another word that we use like muri mura muda. Muri means hard work or impossible, non-logical things. And he's, or Toyota people never give us a hard, well, it's a challenging, it's challenging, mentally challenging, but it's not a really a, we, uh, impossible to accomplish target. If I look back and look at the result, it might look like it's a crazy target. If somebody told me to do that from day one, it might look crazy. But I think the leaders always uh, have their vision and step-by-step they're challenging us. And I think that's the beauty or art of um, this Toyota wave. Yeah, there's, um, yeah, that that art, that that's a good way of putting it, of, Challenging, you know, challenges that are not too easily accomplished, but also don't seem impossible where it might be demoralizing or, you know, asking questions that are not so open ended, as as you said, not just asking, what do you think we should do, but also asking questions that are not, um, let's say, maybe like just directive. Um, Toyota talks about um, developing people through problem solving. It seems the risk of if somebody asks a question that's so specific that it's basically telling someone what the answer is, the, the risk is, is that we don't develop that person's problem solving skills. What, what are your thoughts on striking that balance? Yeah. And a lot of people will say that my father never gave answers, but uh, in many cases, I think that that's why I think, uh, I think we learn is we trying to figure out. And I, actually recently I was talking with my father about my son. Uh, he's like three year old now and you know he's going to kindergarten and stuff, but a lot of schools, preschools are now changing from traditional teaching mode to more sort of like play-based play or Montessori or other methodology where it's sort of like open-based where you give the kids to sort of explore and from exploring things they learn. And I think uh, Toyota to some degree is giving us an like, opportunity to you know, play around, explore. And I learn. Obviously they won't let you say, if I say I want a new toy, they will say, no, you don't need, you have enough toys around. Use those toys to find out something that you can learn. Yeah. So when I was yeah, talking about my son's education, my father felt, Actually, he started reading about those education systems, and he's like, "Oh wow, there's some similarity there." And I felt the same way. Mm. It's just in the many of the corporate world, right? They don't think about how can I create a safe environment to make mistakes, like mm. preschools. And that's why a lot of people become more afraid to sort of challenge, is because what if there's a mistake? I lose my job. I lose everything. Then you're not gonna challenge. So. That's where he's like, that's, you have to accept that we might fail, but mm. that's important. Keep it safe. Well, and, and that, that idea of um, scientific problem solving or experiments or opening that risk to fail. Um, I, I have a coffee mug I'll hold up for those who are watching, if you can read it. I started a podcast 
a separate podcast series called My Favorite Mistake, where that is really the theme, talking about mistakes that we've learned from in our careers. And, and often we end up talking about how do we create an environment where, as you put it, a, a safe environment to make mistakes. I think that's a very important thing that I've been fortunate to learn uh, from, from Toyota people in my work in my career. Yeah, and I think they always challenge something that it's okay to make a mistake uh, and you learn a lot from that. And then we challenge something higher level. Like I, we didn't start working on, I didn't start working on designing like a layout of the factory until very late because, and even if I look back to some of the layout, like a year later, after you start implementing the full system and stuff, you start recognizing, oh my God, I made some mistakes. Uh, and, and, you know, I didn't cautiously think about it. Fortunately, it was a mistake that's fixable. Mm -hmm. But right. if I have to move equipment and stuff, I do have to have additional resources to move around the equipment. And stuff. Mm -hmm. So he never gave us that kind of challenge, or Toyota never gave, gave that kind of challenge on the early days of the career. But once you learn those easy mistakes that you learned about it, then they will gradually give us a higher one. They might cost more, but yeah, I think that's how they train people. Well, it also seems like an argument for doing things like um, having equipment that's on wheels so mm -hmm. that when we inevitably make a mistake with the layout, to your point, like you said, it's fixable instead of being in the concrete of the floor. Right. Right. And that's why they designed the racks, designed the machinery with the wheels and easy to move if I want to. But a lot of places already have equipment that's already you know, had deep root in the concrete. Right. So if I want them that to be moved, it's a huge deal. And yeah, ideally he would love to find, we would love to find something that at a wheel and easy to move. And, but yeah, once in a while we have to have that Mon monuments. Yeah. So before we learn to design the monument, he he always challenges us to you know, be flexible, open-minded, and understand what's the good layout should look like, mm -hmm. then think about designing the monument. Yeah, yeah. Um, so you know, on the topic of um, mistakes and learning, um, it just recently was sent by Jeff Liker, the second edition of his book, um, the, the Toyota Way. And earlier in the book, he um, quotes your father um, from a, a presentation um, that said, um, TPS is built on the scientific way of thinking. How do I respond to this problem? It's not a toolbox. You have to be willing to start small and learn through trial and error. Um, I'm curious your, your thoughts or reactions to, um, to that quote. I'm not surprised because that's how he's been acting. Um, he, he was very, I think, um, cautious, uh, cautious about the scientific uh, science, uh, the meaning of science, because I, I think um, Frederick Taylor, you know, a long time ago, early 19th centuries, no, sorry, early 20th centuries, he wrote the book called Scientific Management, which is like the starting point of every study of management. Right. And myself and him read the book and, you know, it sounds like science in that age looked like science is an authority. Mm. Science defines what is best at the beginning, and you tell people this is the right way, you follow. And I think a lot of people still see science as that way. Is like, 
oh, there's a guru in the factory and they know everything about the science, so-called science. They are the authority, ask them, they define the process we follow. But I think Toyota's science is, I think, more closer to what the real meaning of science, because science is a continuous discovery and learning. And every time we test something, we might find something new, we need to understand why. So it's a continuous journey of that. And I think Dr. Bowen lured that as like so every employee in Toyota is like a science, real scientist is because they know that at the beginning, we start with something best of what we know, but at the end of the day, we might find a new science and we need to continuously update ourselves. And that's the reason why I think, I, I, I think there's that kind of two understand your science. One is saying, hey, somebody's going to give you the answer. You follow them. They are the authority. And the other one is, no, it's, it's a continuous improvement. Uh, you, you never reach the complete answer to the problem, but there's always something better, something better that we can introduce. What is it? Let's look for it. If you only have a few experts, then you're only going to find few new science. But if every employee is looking for a new science in their process, you'll find millions of new science. Yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense. And um, yeah, I haven't heard anyone say it exactly that way before. Uh, you know, science as authority, the sort of top-down directive approach. I think, you know, there, there's this... Uh, yeah, you know, but, but there's also like a, a, a joke t-shirt that en- I'm an engineer, consider myself right kind of t-shirt sitting yeah. <laughs> around on the web. So I know it's a joke, but... I don't know how many percent of that is a joke, or they think a little bit that, hey, I'm an engineer, I'm right, so just follow me. And I think my father challenged so many engineers, so many engineers, like, come to the show floor. I don't care what you say. What's happening on the show floor is not necessarily what you are saying. So we need to understand what's the logic behind this science. I mean, there, there could be a similar T-shirt that says, I'm a manager, consider myself right. Yeah, that's another one. That's, yeah. yeah, that's another good one too, yes. Um, so you mentioned um, uh, Kent Bowen, and I was wondering you know, what your um, recollections were of you know, your father um, working with Kent Bowen and Steve Spear when you know, uh, you know, Kent Bowen was at um, Harvard, Steve Spear at the time was at Harvard, and, and they had collaborations. Um, this is you know, where some of my professional circles start coming together. Um, where they had worked with Paul O'Neill uh, from Alcoa, um, Vicky Paisowitz, who I mentioned earlier, you know, was part of that learning and, and that collaboration, which included visiting some hospitals. So I was, I was curious your recollections of, you know, your father's learning in general from um, living and working in the United States and, and what he might have told you about those interactions with people like Bowen and Spear and O'Neill. Well, I think that's something uh, he always appreciated. He, I think he thought Dr. Bowen was his good friend. And despite the fact that they came from completely different backgrounds, they seemed to understand each other about TPS very, very uh, fluently, despite the fact that my father's English wasn't that good, but that was fine with them. Um, and... Yeah, I think what my father learned from them, I think, is that in the United States, um, there's a lot of more studies or development done in the area of coaching, um, learning, um, double loop learning. Uh, there's a lot of 
theories about how people learn. And when my father saw that, and he also attended some of the um, Harvard case study class environment, and he felt that that's unbelievably unbelievable environment. And um, he want he wanted to learn that. He wanted to practice that on the show floor instead of a little bit a strict traditional teaching style uh, in Japan, which he had. He had that influence, but he gradually tried to shift toward more questioning uh, Socrates method or something that doesn't uh, drive by fear, but more sort of like respecting the humanity itself. And that's what my father was learning from. Actually, I, I, I would like to say that, you know, all those people that my father met, like Ponyo is another example that you mentioned. Every one of them was somebody, I, I know everybody will say, you know, they learned from my father, but my father also learned from them about their style. I mean, like this, another word, leadership. Mm-hmm. That was not a popular word when he was, or at least until 90s in Japan. But now as he see that, yeah, he tried to understand the concept and he's like, wow, there's so many to learn from the United States. And therefore, you know, it's sort of a game of catch that, you know, you guys can, t- he's learning and myself is learning a lot about American style of management and learning and coaching and that kind of things. On the return, he, he will throw um, this TPS and Dr. Bowen and Ms. Oval was like, sort of like, sort of always doing that um, yeah. game of catch. Yeah. Uh, yeah, exchanging ideas. Yeah, oh, that's great. Um, do you know? Did he ever? Did your father ever have an opportunity? You know, he he's you know very much associated with um, TSSC, yep. and TSSC in recent years has done work, um, pro bono work helping healthcare organizations. Do you know if he ever had the opportunity to uh, work with a hospital? Uh, not when. Uh, well, during the TSS area, I think in Pittsburgh, I think he, that's the hospital. But after that, I don't think he had a project hospital. No. I mean, healthcare equipment, yes, but not hospital. Ah, okay. Um, one other thing I wanted to ask about, you know, you mentioned, um, you know, Harvard and, and, and case studies and that way of learning. One other, you know, I think, you know, popular way of learning and, and people may have known of your father uh, was was from a Wall Street Journal article that I think was uh, quite famous. And the headline of this article um, said, asked, um, how does Toyota maintain quality? Mr. Oba's hairdryer offers a clue. And, you know, in, in short, the, the, the talks about him going to an auto supplier, they were having difficulty with parts drying properly. They had this um, robotic automated oven that cost almost three hundred thousand dollars, and you know the story talks about him, him using a twelve dollar hair dryer to do the work um, just as well. And you know earlier you, you mentioned um, you know sometimes there's this idea that he didn't give answers. It sounds like the hair dryer might have been, if not an answer, sort of pointing in the direction of uh, what are the lessons there that simplicity um, can can be more effective sometimes. Yeah, I, I mean, I I didn't see. Well, I've been to the factory where they put the hairdryer thing, but I've been to factory where he will say, okay, you know, instead of using the huge monument washer machine, for example, right, and that was a gear factory. He said, well, let's make this small gear washing machine. And you know, obviously, engineers will say, 
S2 complex, whatever. But if you make one, it's simple. It's simple device. I need a metal box and a spin in the middle, and that's it. I just pour the uh, washing liquid in, and it washes out nicely. So uh, he never, I, I don't know what's the right way. He trusted, how can I say, engineers were trying to tell you a good answer, but he never believes the story until he sees it. So he, first thing he will say is, let's try Right? It's a $12 hair dryer. What could go wrong if I buy $12 and it didn't work? Or this washing machine that I talked about, it's not going to cost me less than $100. Let's try those cheap options first. If it fell, I'm sorry. Let's use that monument. But most cases, the things that he tried is very cheap, but it worked effectively. And, so, and, and then why we need to think about a million dollars? Right, right. So um, you know, I'll put a link to that article um, in, in the show notes. Hopefully people, it's an old enough article. Hopefully there's free yep. access to that um, online. But you know, the article talked about your father's mission. They described it, um, you know, a mission that transformed Toyota's American auto parts suppliers into lean, high quality manufacturers. So the, you know, they're using that word lean, um, which quite often the Wall Street Journal just thinks lean is get rid of the inventory. You know, as you were um, as you were talking about earlier, but I guess you know, question question for you: um, what what do you know? What he thought about the word "lean" as opposed to talking about uh, TPS, the Toyota Production System? Did did he have much use for labels? You you mentioned he didn't really like templates. What about words and labels? Uh, so uh, I I don't know if you want to compare lean and TPS. That's a tough question. Um, he never considered himself as a lean expert. Uh, he, he, he will always say TPS. Um, I think one, one thing he was concerned is like lean is becoming so big that sometimes um, the, the TPS, the original philosophy, might uh, disappear. And that's why he, he, he wants to stick to Taichi Ono's mm -hmm. teachings. And, and that's the reason why he, uh, he's a um, little bit I'm worried about, you know, being is becoming more and more. And they, uh, I mean, Dr. Womack might have the original definition and he might have the good intention, but then so many people adding things and changing the meaning. Mm. And the other thing is like lean is also what the opposite. He always wants to say, okay, you want to be lean, but you know, thinking, uh, this part is also important, right? right? I need to have a healthy body, but I need to have a good thinking, good mindset. And that part of TPS, we shouldn't forget about. It's not just, you know, being less inventory, less people, less lead right. time, that kind of thing. But uh, somebody, uh, there's a famous professor in uh, uh, Japan talking about TPS called Mr. Dr. Fujimoto. Mm -hmm. He once said in his book is that, you know, Toyota's um, strength is not TPS. It's the capability to um, um, give birth to TPS. They designed it, they implemented it, and they, they made that system. That capability is what makes Toyota interesting and unique. So that's the thing that my father is always thinking about is, you know, yes, your body needs to be lean, but your mindset also has to be very sharp, continuously thinking, challenging. And so that's the part that he doesn't want to forget about. Sure. 
So um, if I hear you correctly, you were saying that he had concerns that lean, when you said lean was getting too big, you mean too popular, and then there was risk that it it changes or gets misunderstood? Is that fair to say? Well, for, uh, one example, um, like Taichi Ono's book, uh, Workplace Management, mm -hmm. there's a chapter that calls Standard Time Should Be the Lowest Time. That's the, uh, I think, the final chapter of the workplace management. And Toyota is sticking on to that simple concept because if you cannot accomplish the lowest time, pull down, down, the team leader will come and help you, and we solve the issues problem issue together, and we improve. A lot of versions are now saying, "Oh, it's okay to have this eighty percent rule, mm. or you know, yeah, you know, let's use the average or whatever, mm -hmm. or even the stock time. You know, oh, we're gonna use this fake." Um, demand because we want to accomplish more than the uh, actual demand to be safe. And once you allow that kind of calculations to creep inside, it goes back to the original point that you asked about you designing the process that doesn't necessarily need to do Kaizen or problem solve one by one. And that was his concern is like, are we really adding things by understanding what Taiji Ono tried to do or changing to a complete different monster. And if, if it's a complete different monster, let's, yeah, let's be careful about it. Yeah, yeah. That's, um, that's good advice. You talk about um, you know, going back to Taiji Ono. You know, that Wall Street Journal article described how your father was, was trained at um, OMCD, Operations Management Consulting Division. Um, and, you know, in that article, one other thing I wanted to ask you about, um, your, your father was quoted as saying what the big three, you know, referring to the automakers and, and, and this, this idea might apply to any, you know, manufacturer or a hospital that's trying to emulate and learn from Toyota. But his quote was, you know, what the big three are doing is creating a Buddha image and forgetting to inject soul in it. So I was, I was curious, you're kind of reactions to, to that idea or what you would add to that. I think it's an interesting provocative statement. Yeah, because I, I think uh, you mentioned, Lisa talked about, you, know, you need like a three hour training and you can start talking about DPS and then, but it, to really understand it's gonna take years of mm -hmm. practice to understanding. And I think it's a very similar point is, yeah, whatever they're saying is very simple. Right. Problem solved one by one. Yep. run the line with the lowest cycle time. It's, they're saying simple things, but in practice, every day, it's going to look dirty <laughs> if we design the process like that. And we have to do problem solving, really have to do. And that's going to require some work to do. And if the managers just want the quick result, I'm sorry, but it might not be the right solution. Uh, yeah. And that's why, like, for example, um, and on light, yeah. Uh, my father sometimes goes to the factory. And, oh my god, why we have so many Christmas trees here, right? Mm -hmm. Because you have so many color lights flashing everywhere. Nobody's reacting. Mm. Nobody's taking action about it. If Toyota, if Ando goes on and the light goes on, you will see an immediate action that some of the manager will come and jump onto the problems. And right. that's what I always see. Yeah. When it is the factory, it's like really fast. And I pulled on them once by, um, you know, just for a sort of like a simulation, which I shouldn't have done that, but the people will come. 
people yeah. community and they asked the question why and then they would say oh sorry this guy pulled it by mistake and you know <laughs> yeah i shouldn't have said that but yeah yeah that's okay well and and i think that idea of you know as your father was quoted thinking of you know the soul um there, there was a different article written in the early 1990s i believe in fortune magazine so again you know another really popular broad business publication like the wall street journal where um, I forget who was quoted, it might have been Fujio Cho, who um, you know said you know talked about big three automakers coming to visit Toyota, and um, you know say you know they try to copy tools, but they um, he I think it was um, Mr. Cho who also used the word soul that they don't understand the soul of Toyota, they're not copying the right things, so I guess you know kind of as, you know. Uh, I'd be curious to hear your thoughts on, you know, what you see, why other organizations struggle when they're emulating Toyota. Like there, there's an, another example, I think of a BBC article about a Ford truck plant that installed and on cord system. That might be the Buddha image, but there was a culture of fear where people would get yelled at for pulling the and on cord. What, what are your thoughts on, on, on some of these struggles of, um, you know, why, why, why organizations maybe don't try to copy the right things? Well, uh, for, uh, wow, that's a tough question to answer. First of all, I, I think uh, big threes are trying and they are catching up. Uh, not just big three, but the, the Europeans or the Koreans or the Chinese manufacturers. The automobile industry is a tough industry and these guys are improving their process significantly, but still, I have to say that Toyota stands out. And um, that's, um, yeah, I, it's, it's a tough question that my father and uh, myself always discuss about. Uh, one thing is, I would say that this whole TPS tools is not um, TPS groups tool. It's the management tool, right? Andong or Kanban or any of these fancy tools are not, there's a small group of people who's expert in it. Mm -hmm. It's the team leader. It's the um, group leader. Right. It's, one, uh, it's a normal guys on the show floor uh, are actually using those tools and they sometimes master those things more. Uh, and I think that's, uh, and to make that happen, I think the management um, takes time to understand um, they actually work as a line manager, team leader, um, position to understand what does uh, help means. And that's that way the system continues to evolve. Mm -hmm. uh, if I just uh, implement the light or add additional resource to just to react to the problem, it might not react the same way. Um, I think it's, 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 it's still an ongoing question and I don't have an answer to it, but uh, yeah. That's okay. Um, so the, yeah, so what I hear you saying is there's a difference between, um, let's say, you know, often what, you know, this, this happens in different types of organizations, but sometimes hospitals, they will hire a couple of people from manufacturing companies. They may train some of their uh, employees or leaders and then they're the ones who go out and run improvement projects and, and they will call that lean, but that's very different than making sure 
the equivalent of a team leader and a group leader in a nursing unit has the problem solving skills that we would associate with TPS. What, what are your thoughts? Yeah, and that's something uh, I think a major difference in my father's approach. He never asked a company to say, hey, let's make an office, a new office, right? Because, and I've been to a factory where they have a continuous improvement office, um, the lean office, and the initial alert of the company PES office, three of them sitting next to each other, and they're making a bunch of presentations. And my father thinking is, well, you don't have to start there. Right. Plant manager, you... He thinks that's the key person inside the factory. So he will say, you will come with me and let's go through this whole uh, process together, uh, understand the problems and start working on standardized working, uh, standardized work, um, problem solving together. And once the organization is reaching to a higher level where I need to deploy the similar concept to different factories and you know, or connect to the supplier or customers, or, you know, we need to challenge more, then he might start thinking about, okay, let's have a TPS group or the lean group. And, you know, one of the best people who actually did Kaizen should lead that organization instead of hiring somebody from outside, somebody inside should, you know, develop and take that position and get the challenge to spread. So he was not never ever asking that question, make that office first. He never said that. Uh, He actually didn't like that. Right. He wants to work with the plan managers or, you know, COO, that kind of guy right. first. Okay. Well, that makes sense. So maybe a final question for you, Hide. Um, can you talk a little bit more about um, the work that, that you're doing and will continue doing sort of, you know, continuing um, your father's work and, and his legacy? What, what are some of your, um, what are some of your plans that, yeah, and myself and my brother talked about this after my father's passing, but uh, one of the uh, favorite phrases of my father, I think you touched it, is respect human and humanity. And he will say, you know, human life is limited, therefore we shouldn't waste it with the time. That's why we need to do Kaizen, because we want people to add value to the society more. At the same time, humanity is something that we have to, we can continue on. I mean, the cre- creativity, curiosity, and also this passion. And I, we feel that we learned so much from my father that we want to um, pass this baton to um, next generations because we still see a lot of opportunities everywhere, like hospitals. And, uh, <laughs> you know, I mean, we saw a lot of waste during my father's final days. And I know that if my father could get out of the hospital, he will go back and say, hey, guys, <laughs> we need to do guys. So that's what my, uh, myself and my brother is now thinking about is we want to continue uh, my father's uh, teaching and pass that baton to next generations. Yeah. Well, that's great. And, and, and thank you for sharing that idea. Um, really makes me think, you know, we have a lot of listeners of this podcast who work in healthcare and, and to think of that idea of, you know, the waste in patient care and, and the impact that has, um, like you said, that's, that's, that's why we have to do Kaiser. And I hope that inspires listeners to continue what they're doing um, for, for other people's fathers and for other people's loved ones who are there in the hospital to make sure that um, 
that everyone gets yes. the best care possible. So thank you. Yeah, and that. yeah, and they are very, very professional, unbelievable, talented people. I, I have to say, real thank you to all those doctors and nurses tried to help my father for his last minute. But I know that my father will say, you know, wow, such a talented people is, you know, not necessarily focused on the right thing. Mm-hmm. And we need to provide a better environment for them to do their work. Then, you know, more and more people will be saved and more and more people will have more quality time with their families. And I think that's my father's desire is that, you know, these professional people should be released from waste and, you know, do what they are capable of doing and adding value to the patient. And he hopes, he really, I think he really hopes that, uh, he, well, he wants to say thank you to the doctors and nurses, but I think he hopes that, you know, these people can spend more time on adding values, not just wasting the time. So that's some of the passion or humanity or something that I think we, as a student of him, would like to pass, continue. Well, thank you. That's that's beautifully said, and um, you know, I, uh, thank you for sharing that. And you know, again, I want to express my condolences to to you and and, and your family um, on your father's passing. But I, I really appreciate that you could take some time to share some reflections and and stories that we could document um, and capture here in the podcast. So uh, again, we've been joined by uh, Hide Oba. Um, thank you, thank you so much. I you know, really appreciate the time that we could spend together here. Yeah, Mark, thank you very much for this opportunity. And uh, it, it was a great opportunity because I, it gave me an opportunity to rethink about, you know, what my father had done and, and, and gave me a more positive memory back and, and getting us from this hard time. So thank you very much. Okay, thank you. Thank you. Thanks for listening. This has been the Lean Blog Podcast. For lean news and commentary updated daily, visit www.leanblog.org. If you have any questions or comments about this podcast, email mark at leanpodcast at gmail.com.